You're listening to the Premier Podcast Network. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Peace and good morning, world. Welcome to Foundation Radio. My name is Adam Barnard, and I am here with the legendary executive producer, co-executive producer of Foundation Radio, Mr. Sam Kreps. How are you, sir? I'm doing real good. Good morning, huh? That's what we're going with? (laughs) Peace and good morning, yeah. It might might actually be midnight when people are listening to this. I don't know, but that's just kind of my thing. Three minutes to nine o'clock where I am. (laughs) Same uh, over here, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm usually drinking my coffee when I listen to my podcast. So, you know, whatever works, man. I'm cool with it. Uh, Sam, I am super excited, man. I cannot believe that. I cannot believe this is actually happening. This is. can't. This has been a dream of mine for a long time. Eric Bischoff is my guest today on Foundation Radio. I It has been a goal of mine to talk to Eric for as long as I can remember doing this podcast, and uh, it finally happened. And we're here today, and I cannot wait to bring this, this show to you. I just, it, I'm just i just so excited about it. It's fantastic. He is the uh, former executive producer and uh, senior vice president of World Championship Wrestling. Uh, he basically innovated the industry. Uh, he was the man that turned Hulk Hogan heel in the mid-90s and revolutionized wrestling as we know it today. The only man to bring Vince McMahon close enough to bankruptcy. Uh, it's a, just an amazing story. And one of the things I love so much about Eric when he talks is this idea about the importance of story structure and the three-part arc in a story when it relates to professional wrestling. And we talk a lot about that today in this episode. We talk about uh, some of the ad-free shows content that he puts together that goes over and goes into great detail about a lot of the things, specifically WrestleMania 36. And he does drop an exclusive on a new project that is happening. So not only can I say that Eric Bischoff is on the show, but he also gave me an exclusive, Sam. I think that pretty much makes us awesome now, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't even think I have to listen to the episode now. I mean, uh, this has been Foundation Radio. Thank you. Uh, Foundation Radio is recorded in front of a live studio audience. Yep. Cue the dumb, ugly music, and we'll be good to go. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really it's really exciting, man. I'm I'm very very excited to get this episode so, out to you. So World Championship Wrestling. Yes. That's- WCW WCW that is correct. Well, we've hit we've hit a milestone. I actually know what that is. <laughs> it because was, yeah. I well, I was going to say the one wrestling thing that I ever actively really gave its its uh its due was WCW versus NWO for yeah. the Nintendo 64. Yes. Yeah. And uh that's about as far as I go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can thank and uh, you can thank Eric Bischoff for the NWO because he was the man that engineered and put it together uh, and got Hulk Hogan to turn heel. Uh, again, like I said, wrestling would not be where it is today uh, as far as importance and longevity without this man. And, and I think this is a really good place for you to start, Sam, if you really want to dive into wrestling as Foundation Radio is now diving into wrestling headfirst. This interview would be a great place for you to start to learn about You know, I've always wanted works. to listen to this show, so maybe I <laughs> Will uh, I will tune in? Finally this time tune around. in. I love it. Yeah, you just know? just come and join us at any time you'd like to. I've been, but I've been meaning to listen. But <laughs> now listen, you know, if who, you has wanna, a, who has a time? If, 
If you want to take a listen to anything in the archive, too, I have a great interview that just happened last week with uh, Jason Solomon, a.k.a. The Solomonster, Josh Chernoff, and Bill Goldberg, and Conrad Thompson. You can go check us out in the archive at foundationradio.net. You'll find all of our previous episodes there. Uh, I guess, Sam, without further ado, let's go ahead and welcome Eric Bischoff to the show today. I'm looking forward to it. Bischoff, thank you so much for coming on to Foundation Radio today. It's my honor and privilege to have you. First things first, I want to say congratulations on your induction in the WWE Hall of Fame. That's a really big deal. Thank you very much for that. And it, yeah, it was a really big deal. It, it uh, you know, I've said this before <clears throat> a lot recently. You know, I always wondered what it would feel like. I thought about, you know, how I would react when that time came. And I, I knew it would be important. I knew it would be, you know, a big deal to me. But when it actually became a reality, it was pretty overwhelming in, in, in a really positive way. It was really cool. I, uh, I, I pretty much I popped for you when I heard the news that you were going into the Hall of Fame. And I know that Mrs. B, your wife, recently spoke about how much she knew that you would be inducted into the Hall of Fame and how proud of you that she was. How has it felt for you to see your family see you honored in that way and being officially named into the Hall of Fame? Because I feel like it's an honor for them in some ways, too. It, it is, you know, because even though I've always managed my expectations pretty well, I've got a very, very healthy, always had a very healthy attitude about, you know, things that are going to happen or not going to happen. I don't stress over things too much or, or worry about them. But um, I think my kids kind of were like, come on, man, what's <laughs> up with my dad? So, uh, yeah, it was, it was very cool for them. That's amazing. And I know one of the things that I really admire about you the most is how positive you are. You just, there's a silver lining in almost everything and you're really open about that. And I feel like that's how when you and your family really live your lives. I know on 83 weeks, which is one of my favorite podcasts, you talk about the peripheral media that uh, takes place and has a lot to say about you, unfortunately. Um, how has your positive attitude really helped you stay on the straight and narrow, even during the most challenging periods of your career? Um, you know, that's a, that's a good question. That's a deep question though. I'd have to give that one some, some, some serious thought. I guess I've always, I've just always, since I was a young kid, since I was eight years old, six years old, I guess, I don't know. I've always struggled with things just like anybody does, but I've just always had this feeling that it's okay. It's going to turn out just fine. Don't, don't let, you know, I, I was horrible in school. I was a poor student. I was bored in school. Um, I wasn't physically gifted as an athlete or anything else. So I was, I was about as average as a kid could be, but I just always believed that there was something exciting down the road, you know? So I don't know, I guess I was just born with it. Maybe. And, and my wife, Mrs. B, as you refer to her and I do always is Mrs. B. Actually, she's my wife, Lori. She's been really helpful because while I've always had kind of a, a basic positive nature, um, Lori's really helped me harness it 
and develop it. It's like a muscle. You know, your attitude is no different than your biceps. You have to work it and use it. And if you don't work it and use it, it atrophies and all kinds of other negative shit sets in. So <laughs> Mrs. B has been really good about that with me. And I, I think it's helped me in a lot of ways, especially in the last five or 10 years. Has it been difficult to stay as positive through the pandemic? I know you're, you like being isolated out there in, in Cody, Wyoming, and I know you're enjoying your, your ranch out there. And uh, has it been, has like kind of stayed the same for you since everything's kind of going crazy or has it been like a little bit different? Well, I think, you know, obviously it's been a little bit different. You know, I never had to put on a mask before I walked into Walmart before. <laughs> right, uh, right. So that's a little odd. You know, it took me a while to adjust and, you know, carry that mask around in my back pocket because it just wasn't something I was used to doing. I put my right sock on the first thing in the morning. I put my right sock on, then I put my left sock on. If all of a sudden I had to put my left sock on first because somebody mandated it, it would take a while to get used to that. <laughs> and the same was true with masks. Yeah. It just took yeah. me a while. But it beyond that, you know, you know, because we are isolated here. There's only 500,000 people in the whole state of Wyoming and geographically we're the same size as Colorado. So it's the, the entire state is, you know, people come here because they want to be socially distanced. I volunteered for that shit back in 1998 when I built my house. So it, no, it wasn't a big deal for me. But I know it was for a lot of other people and traveling, you know, flying, obviously it's a pain in the ass, but um I don't want to dismiss what other people had to go through because not everybody chooses to live in a place like me. And for people that have no choice and live in cities and were affected by it, I, I do have empathy. It just, I don't want to dismiss that. I was just curious. I'm sure, uh, I'm sure it probably stayed pretty much the same for you, but I, I still can't get used to the fact of walking into a convenience store and wearing a mask. Like it feels like alien to me. Right. Cause you always see the signs everywhere. You're like, don't wear a mask. And it's like, well, what the fuck am I doing now? You know, well, it's just you know very bizarre. Weirder? Dude, I, 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 th I had a kind of a similar thought. Now, this was a couple of months ago. Because here in Cody, the, the, the mass thing has become the state of Wyoming, the mass thing, except for Jackson Hole, which is a suburb of Beverly Hills. It's all California. <laughs> so they're, they're still all fucked up in Teton County. A bunch of Californians, they go out and they buy a pair of cowboy boots and they buy a cowboy hat and they buy a shiny new pickup truck and they think they're fucking cowboys, but they're really just Californians and they're never going to change. But aside from that, throughout the rest of the state of Wyoming, um, the, the, the whole mask thing has been relaxed, but there was a time, I, I don't know, six weeks ago, whatever. I went into my bank, I bank at Wells Fargo, right? And Wells Fargo has a very strict, you know, COVID thing going on, which is fine. I get it. You know, it's a free country and I appreciate that and respect it. But, you know, you couldn't walk in the door without a mask, right? And I'm thinking, this is so fucked up. You know, two years ago or a year ago, year and a half ago, if I would have walked into this bank wearing a mask, I would have got shot. <laughs> <laughs> now you can't come in unless you're wearing a mask. Oh my Honest God. to God. <laughs> it is. Working in Philadelphia gave me that impression as well when I was, uh, I'm, I'm in Pittsburgh now, but I was originally from Philadelphia. And just again, walking through the city, going into a 7-Eleven or a Wawa or something, it's like, this is fucking weird, man. So I'm glad things are sort of starting to come uh, back up again. And that sort of leads me into, uh, you know, your Hall of Fame appearance and your appearance at WrestleMania 37. Um, what was that like for you uh, to see fans back again in the stadium and, and sort of be able to celebrate an event like WrestleMania. I miss it so much. Like, you know, whether it's a Kentucky Derby, you know, I, 
which is something that, yeah, maybe I'll watch it. Maybe I won't. I'm not really a big horse racing fan, but I'm going to watch about anything that has a crowd. I don't, I almost don't care what it is. I just need that fix. And because I mean, like all of us, you know, you, you watch basketball and okay, you're watching the game, but it's not the same. You're watching professional wrestling, AEW, WWE, whatever you're watching. It's good, but it's not the same. You're missing it. You know, I'm missing it a lot. That energy. And it's, it's really interesting. It's an interesting period of time that we've gone through that I think has illustrated in its own way, something that I've been saying for years and years, especially on this, on my podcast and and in interviews, I was told that Elvis Presley once said the most important part of any of his shows is the audience. Without the audience, eh. And I've I've used this analogy long before you know coronavirus. Can you imagine? Well, and again, this now reminds you, this is before Corona, right? And then when I was ever, you know, when I was talking about how important the crowd is, whether it was because I ended up going to Disney with WCW or, you know, taking the show, the the very first show for Nitro to uh, Mall of America, I've always talked about how important the crowd is. And I used this analogy once, man. Can you imagine, you know, what's your fate? What's your fantasy match of all time? Whatever that may be. Doesn't matter. Let's say Sting and Undertaker when they were both in their prime, right? What if that match happened, but it happened in front of no crowd? It wouldn't matter. It would suck. People wouldn't care. And no matter how great the match was, no matter how hard everybody worked, no matter how creative it was, you wouldn't remember it because it didn't create any emotion. And that's the thing about wrestling in particular. Without that crowd to help convey that energy and that emotion so that a viewer at home can actually feel it or live it vicariously through that little box that they're watching, without that element of the product, it's amazingly difficult. And for me to be able to walk out there, and I was only out there, what, for a minute, minute and a half, waving to the crowd, you know, trying to be cute, trying to be funny, but really being very humbled. But to just stand out there for a minute or a minute and a half is like, Oh, that's what that, I remember that feeling. It was really cool. Foundation Radio is brought to you by 10th Ward Barbershop. Serving the historic 10th Ward in downtown Lawrenceville, 10th Ward Barbershop is a full-service barbershop offering quality haircuts, beard trims, and hot shaves. Adam gets his hair and beard trimmed by the owner of the shop, Ryan Kane, and he loves the laser point precision cuts and lineup he provides to him and countless other satisfied customers. But you don't have to take Adam's word for it. WWE superstars Corey Graves and the fiend Bray Wyatt frequent 10th Ward for all their hair and beard trimming needs. Right now, all all cuts and trims are by appointment only. So head over to their website at 10thwardbarbershop.com and book your appointment now with Kane, Jordan, and the rest of the team at 10th Ward Barbershop. That's 10thwardbarbershop.com. And we thank them for supporting the podcast. That's amazing. Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm thinking that when you say about you know Sting and The Undertaker, the one thing that really pops into my head is the, uh, the Hulk Hogan heel turn at Bash at the Beach. Think about something as... Uh, as large as a moment as that was in wrestling history, imagine that happening behind closed doors. Would it have had the same impact, right? Absolutely not. 
tying it back to like Drew McIntyre when he won the title, he beat Brock Lesnar. Yeah, it was awesome. It was a great payoff, but there was something missing. And I think you're right. I feel like that is uh, that is really something that, that made me happy watching WrestleMania. One of the things I want to tie this question into, though, is I know you're a literature guy and I'm a subscriber on adfreeshows.com. Um, my favorite bonus content besides Eric Fires Back, of course, is the Context is King episodes that you did with uh, Tom DeShane. Um, I just listened to them again recently and you did you had this incredible analysis of the Firefly Funhouse match with, you know, the the hero's journey uh, and all the, just the the, the the narrative and the depth you guys went into was just phenomenal. Um, I'm curious, though, because you, you talked about it a little bit. Um, I want to know, really, though, do you think that this, the concept of the cinematic match is actually going to be the logical next step in the, like, the evolution of pro wrestling? No, for the very reasons that we just discussed. Because the cinematic match doesn't provide for that Im- immediate emotional charge that a live audience delivers to the product. For the exact same reason we just talked about, I think there. I think we'll see more of them. I think they'll become a regular feature, a couple times a year, or maybe once a year, and I think that they will improve in quality to the point where there'll be, you know, there'll be mini movies. I, I see that, but I don't see them replacing, you know two or three hours in the case of Monday night raw or two hours on SmackDown or two hours on, on AEW. I don't see that. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be interested in watching a wrestling program with two or three hours of the cinematic match. I feel like in a lot of ways, the way that the just, for an example, the Firefly Funhouse match, I feel like that particular match almost was a happy accident because of everything that happened. It took that storyline, that narrative, and pushed it to an entirely new level, one that I think paid off, for me anyway, way more than just watching them wrestle in a ring. Absolutely, man. I, I just want to reiterate what you or, or, or put you over what you just said. It's really, and this is... Not to get philosophical here, but the floor is yours, sir. Feel free to. It's, yeah. It's it's like, okay, COVID sucks, can't have a live crowd, sucks, this sucks, that sucks, everything sucks. But we still have to put on a show. So let's get as creative as we can. And I think the Firefly Funhouse match, as well as the AJ Styles Undertaker match, were so spectacular without the crowd, because they were a special thing, they were a feature because they focused so much on story. They had to, you couldn't just go out and have a match. It had to be really well thought through in the psychology in the story was, I'm, I don't know. I wasn't involved with it and I haven't talked to anybody who was, but I'm feeling like that thing was storyboarded out. It was thought through from camera angles to action in the ring, to the body of the, the match and the, the, the story. That it, that it became, I thought it was phenomenal. I really did. And that's what, to me, that's, what's missing, you know, in, in wrestling is, you know, just the, the attention to detail and the quality of the storytelling is the only thing, right? Can you imagine if storytelling, the, the level of storytelling in WWE back in the eighties and early nineties was as good as today as it was then, but now you have the athleticism because the athletes in WWE and AEW and, and everywhere, the, the just the skill level and the athleticism and the way they can do the things they can do is so much more exciting. But unfortunately, story is lacking. 
it's like the balance is all off whack. Now, if you could have story rising at the same level of significance and importance and, and, and improvement that we've seen in the athleticism in the ring, oh my God, nobody would be watching anything else on television. It would be, we would be back in the, in the 90s, back in the Monday it Night Wars. Th- that's my point. It's and it's sort of again it ties into the next question. I remember as a kid um, watching Monday Nitro and watching the storylines with like DDP and the NWO or the the Crow Sting storyline with you know just kind of taking it all the way out. Like I actually gave a shit when I watched it, right? Like I was fully invested. My brothers and I, it was literally appointment television watching every single week. I feel like now the emphasis is more on getting that pay-per-view out once a month, pushing the information out, and it's becoming from months to weeks where your storylines have to be boom, 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 in and out, in and out. How do you, as a as someone who's done this and someone who's created some of the most memorable content of all time in pro wrestling, how do you get back to that and how do you get back to a more story-centered structure for the wrestling uh, matches and to engage people again the way we were sort of in the 90s and early 2000s? You have to take a different approach. You know, you have to, someone is going to have to develop a formula that it's not set in stone. You know, it's, it's not math, it's art, but with all art, you know, you look at stand up comics, you know, all of the best Jerry Seinfeld has a formula for developing his comedy. It's a very precise formula. Somebody's going to have to develop a formula like is used in any other form of entertainment, whether it's music, whether it's movies, television, novels. Um, There's been a formula for great stories for a long time. And you mentioned the hero's journey, you know, that, that Google the internet. If you're listening to this, you want to know more about the hero's journey, Google it. You'll be glad you did. You're welcome. But <laughs> also as a, as a note too, if you get a chance, adfreeshows.com is, is some of the most incredible content that's out there right now. The first place you should go is Eric fires back. And then the very second place you should go is to the context is King episodes. If you're a literature fan, if you're a story fan, I cannot stress to you enough how fantastic those episodes are. So I, I apologize. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I want to stress enough. Anyone who's listening should absolutely go and check those, those features out. Oh, no, you can interrupt me like that all day long, brother. I'm good. <laughs> you got it. Yeah, I, any chance to put Eric Bischoff over, believe me, I'm going to do no, it. Trust I'm, me. Yeah, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful. No, but somebody, somebody in wrestling is going to look at the basic architecture of storytelling and then modify it and apply it to the unique audience that professional wrestling is. You can't produce a professional wrestling show like you produce a, you know, a sitcom or a a drama series on television. You can't produce professional wrestling like you produce a movie, but there are elements from both of those and, and other forms of storytelling. There are elements of those forms of art that can be applied and modified to fit wrestling so that you can have a more systematic and precise approach to telling your story or creating one because trust me, I think I'm pretty accurate when I say this for the most part, it's just a bunch of people getting together and throwing ideas up against the wall and seeing what sticks. Now, you know, what makes the difference between consistently good programming or not is the experience those people have in coming up with ideas, throwing them up against the wall and seeing if they stick and executing them. 
And there's a lot of very talented people at that method of story approach. But that's the same way that wrestling was produced and approached creatively since the beginning of wrestling time. The business has changed. Television has changed the business. Well, television will change the business. It, 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 and it has in some respects. But the storytelling aspect of the way wrestling is approached is lagging way the fuck behind the production values, the athleticism, the size, the scope, the popularity. The only thing that hasn't really grown and, and kept up with all of those other great things is the approach to storytelling. It's being done the same way now that it was in the mid 60s and 70s. Do you think that's why it's a little bit harder for like more of the bigger talent? I mean, like kind of excluding John Cena and Roman Reigns, the recent Roman Reigns storyline has been absolutely fucking phenomenal. But besides those two guys, do you think it's why that's a little bit harder for wrestlers to get over in 2021 as compared to like maybe 1998 or 1999? And or do you think that's more about the fact that like and I know you've kind of mentioned this before about um, you pointed out that like there can't really be, be heels anymore. Right. Society won't allow people to be super bad. Right. Um, do you think it's because of the writing and the way that the narrative needs to change? Or do you think it's just a society change that they won't allow like these extremely good characters, extremely bad characters? It's both. And I do want to, um, want to add some clarity to my previous statements. WWE, I don't know how AEW does it. I w I've never been exposed to their creative process other than, you know, day of show. And it's a blast by the way. Um, but with WWE, I have a little bit WWE. I have a little bit more insight. And WWE has done an amazing job of bringing in writers from other forms of entertainment and bringing their skill sets to the table. The unfortunate part is when those ideas get to the point where people are making decisions upon them, oftentimes the logic and the formula and the approach that is taken early on in developing those stories is discarded for the, yeah, but what if we do this kind of instinct of people who have been doing it for a long time. So I, I don't want to suggest that nobody's trying to do it. It just hasn't been done yet in terms of finding a, a, a formula or an approach to creative that that's that. Um, I think that today it's harder for talent to get over because there's just so much more product, you know, I mean, my God, how many hours? I have to do the math. I have to get my freaking calculator out to figure it out. You got three hours on Monday, two hours on Wednesday, two hours on Friday. So we're up to seven. Um, you got, how, what is impact? I don't even watch that shit. I tried to watch it the other night. It was like, oh my God. And I care. I do care about your mental well-being. That's why I didn't have any impact questions prepared. I didn't want to bring anything up again. I just no, listened to the last. Right. <laughs> that's right. No, you know, I don't mean to beat up on it. I, I don't mean to sound negative about it, but I was like, I tried to watch it the other day and, you know, people make fun of the team challenge series that uh, Vern Gagne did back in 1989 or whatever it was. And I, I tuned into impact wrestling the other day and it reminded me of the team challenge series. I mean, it was just hard. I, I watched about a minute and a half and I just, you know, it wasn't because of the talent, the talent was doing great, but just the, the, the presentation is just, like horrible. 
Yeah, no, I understand. I, well, you figure it's like, okay, so between AEW and just WWE, you're looking at probably, let's say, average of 10, 12 hours of content just on television, not to mention on YouTube, uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, pretty much anywhere else you can ingest content, you're going to get all of those things. So there is, I mean, I feel like there's just an overwhelming amount. And then you have Ring of Honor, you have MLW that's going to be on, uh, they're going to be on Fight Now, right? Uh, they have, you know, you have Impact. I mean, it's just, it's everywhere. Everywhere you turn around, you have something new. So maybe it's an oversaturation of the market in general. And it leads me to think about things like this idea of the WWE AEW crossover forbidden door kind of thing. I know you'd mentioned before about the Kenny Omega, Rich Swan title match and how nobody, I believe I don't know what the phrase was that you used, but I believe it was nobody gives a fuck um, about the titles, the title for title. Do you think that something like an AEW WWE crossover could actually produce more people watching? Or do you think generally that nobody would really care about the product at that point? Like the, the, the title for title. I, I mean, it could work eventually, but AEW would. The title for title only matters is, is, the only way that the title for title will matter is if you've got 50% of the combined audience completely loyal to WWE and the other half completely loyal to AEW. And by the way, there has to be as many of WWE fans as AEW fans combined to grow the audience. In my opinion, I guess another way, what I'm trying to say is, until AEW, because you know, I know all the you know the dirt sheet writers and all the you know cosplay journal wrestling journalists out there. <laughs> my favorite, Brian Alvarez, of course. Yes, yeah. my, one of my fa- yeah, one of my favorite people of all time. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're cosplaying wrestling journalists <laughs> is what they really are. Honest to God, I, I know that you know everybody wants to talk about the you know what was the the Wednesday Night Wars, and you know comparing AEW to WWE. Here's what has to happen for that to be viable the AEW and WWE approach. AEW has got to go head to head. There's got to be a fight. There has to be a battle going back to storytelling. What are the stakes in a case where you're, you're laying out an AEW versus WWE champion versus champion. Okay. That sounds really cool. If you're a cosplay wrestling journalist and, and, and a fan of those people, but it only works if there's stakes and the only stakes that matter are who turns out the biggest audience. That's a fight that people will get behind. That's a fight that people will want to be a part of. That's what happened during the Monday night wars. Now I'm going to be honest. I didn't you know, have that strategy in my head going into it. I mean, I'm, Ted Turner was the one that said, Eric, go do this. I didn't like plan it. So I'm not trying to take credit for something here, but Looking back at it and going, okay, well, my favorite word, why? Why did that work when so many other attempts that were similar to it did or didn't, but not nearly as well as Nitro and WWE? Why did it work? Because it was real. And because people were invested. They were invested in the characters. They were invested in the fight between the two companies that actually was more important to them, whether they knew it or not, from a storytelling 
perspective, it was more the battle between WCW and WWE was a more interesting story than the battle between the two people in the ring. That's why it worked. So until AEW gets to the point where they're delivering a similar size audience and start trying to take some real estate, it's a war. If you want a war, you got to have a freaking war. You can't just, you got to do it. AEW needs to take away some WWE real estate. And when that starts happening, people will believe the war and then they'll be invested. But otherwise it's just, you know, cosplay. Foundation Radio is brought to you by The Dugout. The Dugout provides custom quality apparel at an affordable price. Modern style mixed with classic designs, you'll find retro t-shirts brought into the 21st century. Adam has several of his favorite t-shirts in rotation from the team at The Dugout, including customized Dudley Boys, Prince in the Revolution, and the Notorious B.I.G. t-shirts. Right now, if you purchase your items through their Etsy site and use promo code FOUNDATION, you'll receive 15% off your entire order. That's right, 15% off your entire order. Follow them on Instagram at the dugout brand follow the link on their etsy shop and use your promo code foundation for 15 percent off your entire order the dugout custom quality apparel at an affordable price i want to switch gears for a second uh, i want to talk about conrad thompson friend of the show i uh, got to mention him here and give him a shout out um i feel like 83 weeks has given you like this sort of new shot in the arm about telling your stories and being able to sort of respond to not just the peripheral media, but some of the the stuff that's out there about you. That's not true or, or exaggerated. Um, what has the journey been like for you with 83 weeks, you know, from the very beginning to now, like how, what has that journey been like for you? It's a blast. It's just, I don't know how else to say it, man. I usually could go deep into the weeds on shit like this, but if I, I, the the only word that comes to my mind is it's a blast. I have so much fun doing it. And I think that's the cathartic nature of me doing this podcast with, with Conrad is once I started having fun doing it, it changed the way I looked or felt about you know, criticism, um, whether it was deserved, in some cases it certainly was, or undeserved. In many cases, that certainly was. But when you start having fun with that, instead of taking it personally, or, you know, and it's not like I, you know, I ever broke down into the freaking tears or shit like that. I, you know, always had a pretty thick skin. But my my tendency before really getting comfortable doing the podcast was when I would hear negative stuff or read negative stuff, it was just like, yeah, whatever. Okay. And, you know, shift my focus. Now I look at that stuff and go, wow, there's some fun material here. Let's, let's have a good time with this. And when you shift that gear, no matter whether it's, you know, real, you know, deserved criticism or, you know, Dave Meltzer bullshit, either way, I don't care because I'm going to have a blast with this. I'm going to find a way to have fun with it. And man, what a seismic shift that is, right? It's it's the difference between between going eh and going all right. Let's have a blast. That's what doing the podcast is like for me. It is. It's it's it. And I know I mentioned appointment uh, watching earlier. Your your eighty three weeks is a appointment listening for me. I make it a point 
every Monday when I'm doing my reports at work, I'm like Eric and Conrad and my fucking reports. And I got to listen to it all the way through. Um, I love how granular and detailed you are about a lot of the things, even so much as going into the the way that the profit sharing worked with pay-per-view revenue in WCW back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. I, for me, that's the kind of thing that I want to know about. I want to know about all the ins and outs and different things that you do. And I feel like you do that really better than anybody. So I, I appreciate all of that context that you give and all the granular narrative that you put in there. And I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Well, thank you. You know, I, I often worry that sometimes I, you know, I get too granular because I know a lot of fans, you know, like Bruce Pritchard's show is so popular. It's still one of the most successful shows on the network because Bruce is a great storyteller. And more than that, Bruce has decades and decades and decades of talent related experiences. I don't. I was an executive. I didn't travel. I, I you know, I, I really wasn't a talent, you know, you know, as an announcer, I was a talent, but announcers aren't in the ring and traveling with the boys and living that life on the road and seeing all that crazy shit go down. I never did. So going into the podcast, I was like, man, I, I don't know. I don't have many stories to tell. I know people like stories. They like to hear about, you know, Somebody shitting in somebody else's hat, whatever, (laughs) (laughs) or gym bag. I like that kind of stuff, but I don't have any of that. But what I do have is a perspective on the industry that nobody else does other than Vince McMahon. And that fortunately has been enough to make our show fairly successful. So I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for you saying that. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, I want to know one more quick question for you as well. Um, One of the things that I like so much about fatherhood is being able to share my love of professional wrestling with my oldest son, James. We recently went to an event where we met Sting uh, in person. It was fantastic. Uh, And for his birthday last year, uh, we were going to do a big party for him in June. And obviously the coronavirus kind of screwed everything up. And I said, well, what do you want to do? And he said, I want to do, I want to dress up like the NWO. I want to be like Hollywood Hogan. So we bought him a, we bought everybody in the family an NWO shirt and we did a big photo shoot out back of our house and we got him a cake and everything. And I'm sitting there thinking as I'm looking and editing these photos, I'm going, holy shit, I can't believe this. Like 20 years, more, almost 20 years after this, this event happened in professional wrestling, my son is enjoying this with me, throwing up the wolf pack, wearing the shirts, doing the strum of the, the, the belt. What does that mean for you as someone who was so involved with that creation to see things like this 20, 30 years down the road, that things that you were a part of are still so popular and mean so much to so many people. Truth is, I don't think about that much. I and, and Now, I just did, as you were describing your, your son's birthday party, and it, you know, it hit me like a ton of bricks. But... I don't know, man. It's it's cool. I mean, I've talked about it before. You know, the fact that you know, NWO merchandise is still some of the top selling merchandise in, in the WWE catalog. Um, that's kind of freaky cool. Um, when I, you know, when we see live crowds again, or even in the virtual crowds that we're seeing, and I see people still wearing NWO shirts, and I know they weren't even alive when I launched the NWO. They weren't even a little dirty thought in their mommy and daddy's minds in the backseat of a Chevy in a drive-in back when I created Nitro and the NWO. But they're still wearing those shirts. I think it's cool as hell. And But, I, you know, other than noticing it and things like that, it's just a fleeting go, oh, wow, it's, it's still over. That's pretty cool. 
the only thing I think about now from time to time in, in more depth than that is why did that work? I'll, I'll go back to why. It's just the most valuable free letters, one word in the alphabet. Why? Why did the NWO work? And when you think about why in as much detail as one can, what are those elements that while they may not be exactly the same now as they were then, because things have changed, how can I adapt some of the formula? Here we go again. God, I'm just going to die on this fucking hill, aren't I? I, but I'll be, I'll do so, I'll do so willfully and, and happily. <laughs> but if someone would go, okay, take your ego out of it, take all your bullshit out of it and just put on your, you know, your storyteller's hat and say, okay, why did that work? What are all the reasons why it worked from an honest, ob- objective, not subjective, objective point of view. And then once you identify some of those elements, okay, I can do this. I can't do that anymore. Times have changed, but I can do this and I can do that. And I can do this. Now you've got a beginning. Now you've got the beginning of a good formula. You're digging the, you're digging the trench that's going to pour the foundation on which you can build your house. But you've got to start with that and look at those elements and adapt them and focus on them, you know, and make them bigger and better. I think about that. And, and not just with the NWL, but I look back at other stories that were really great stories and go, God, why, why can't they just, why can't we, all of us, go back and go, oh, well, this is how that worked. This is why that worked. Let's build upon that. As opposed to, let's throw some shit up against the wall. You said in your Hall of Fame speech that the best is yet to come for you. And I really do feel like that. When I listen to your podcast and I see the things that you're doing now, I really feel like the best years are still ahead of you. You reinvented yourself with the podcast and reality TV show and then, you know, revolutionizing pro wrestling as we know it today. What's next for Eric Bischoff? What's next? What's the next frontier for you? Let me just say, I haven't talked about this anywhere else. So Adam, you're you're getting a scoop here. This is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Tom, and I'm, I'm only doing this because you mentioned Tom Deschains and, and you're, you're a literature dude. You love story. So I've known Tom now for about a year, give or take. And a while ago, about six months ago, we decided, we decided to create something. I can't give away what it is quite yet. Cause it's not ready yet. And the reason I was, I'm excited about this project is because Tom is a Harvard graduate in literature. He wrote a book on Shakespeare's character that won characters in, in Shakespeare's in Shakespeare plays. I can't remember the title of it. I'm embarrassed, but uh, that won the Harvard's Dean award. And he's also a gamer and he's taken his love for literature and his love for professional wrestling. And actually Tom will tell you, and I think it was actually in one of the average shows things we did. Tom will tell you that the reason he ended up going to Harvard and studying, studying literature 
is because he fell in love with the characters in professional wrestling as a young boy. And he fell in love with the storytelling aspects of professional wrestling as a young boy. And that interest in storytelling and characters evolved into a Harvard graduate in literature that's, a, that's an author. And more importantly, to me at least, um, a gaming guy. So he and I are working together on a gaming project, as far as I will go, that is wrestling-centric but way cooler than anything that's out there. So there you go. That's my next big thing. (laughs) I can't wait to see what comes from that. I'm very excited for it. Uh, Tom DeShane's book is actually Shakespeare's Paralyptic Characters. Uh, That is, uh, I actually remember that from listening to the uh, Context is King. I am very excited to, uh, to see what comes from that. And thank you for the exclusive, sir. I really appreciate that. Eric Bischoff. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, I just want to thank you for all the years of entertainment. Um, Pro wrestling, I'm very honest about my own mental health and things on the show. Pro wrestling saved my life. And one of the things that saved my life was, you know, watching Monday Nitro, uh, watching the Monday Night Wars. So I just wanted to thank you um, for all of the things, all the good you brought to my life in a very turbulent time. Um, And I just wanted to say thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Gosh, what what a great way to spend a Saturday afternoon. Thank you very much, Adam, for the invitation. I appreciate it. It's my pleasure. Foundation Radio is hosted, recorded, and executive produced by Adam Barnard. The show is also produced by Sam Kreps. Special thanks to Greg Mead, Joe Keen, Jeff Quinn, and Dr. Ruth Almy. Our intro and outro music is produced by Dumb Ugly. Find this episode and our full archive at foundationradio.net. Follow us on Instagram at foundation underscore radio. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts. This has been a Foundation Radio production. Butts Carlton, proprietor. Proprietor.